celebrating Thanksgiving when the general public gets to listen. Yes, and I'm a big fan of this time of the year, so I'm already hopped up on the holiday cheer. I've already <laughs> had my eggnog and the candy canes, and in the holiday spirit, um, I have my my good friend Laura here. Hello, hello. And um, she is going to just break us down the wonderful world of acting and what it's like to be yeah. a working actor in Atlanta, in life, in everything. <laughs> Um, so I am restructuring a little bit, just some fun little like recaps since I don't do this very often. First of all, let me go backwards here. Everyone who has listened to this podcast, thank you. I just hit a year milestone, oh my um, which is crazy. I I've only aimed for like two podcasts a month in the first year, which yeah. I had some breaks in between with health things, but sure. it's crazy that I've stuck to it for this long. Cause I remember how long I was like, I want to start a podcast and I didn't. So also, I've been terrible at introducing myself. That's my personal <laughs> note about this podcast. Hi, I'm Leah Audrey. I'm your host. <laughs> I literally have only said that in the first episode. People listening to you, they just know you by your voice. You yeah, you I guess are. so. And I'm like, wow, new listeners. They'll be like, who is this, you know? Um, I've also taken a lot of time to recognize being mindful is important mm. and how often saying like happens when you're just speaking mm -hmm. without thinking. Mm -hmm. And that kind of actually segues me into a question I have for you. Is that something that you learn, like, I guess as an actor, since you're having like lines given to you, yeah. you're just reading that. But do you, have you ever struggled with like an improv on the spot, oh. trying not to be like, um, or like, like or like those filler words. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That was kind of more of a thing for me when we were doing like speech class or like mm -hmm. debate in in like a lit or a lang class mm -hmm. where those professors would be like watch your filler words because for acting I find that like myself included a lot of actors struggle to just speak extemporaneously because we're so used to just having the words given to us mm -hmm. that sometimes like I was actually a little nervous when you asked me to come on because I was like I don't know if I'm gonna speak words yeah, yeah. You're <laughs> like, like real, where's the script like a real person <laughs> Um, yeah. No, um, I think that's, like, kind of more of, like, just a, see right there. Just, like, it's, like, a tick for people right, versus yeah. others. So, um, you know, um, something else I've been thinking about a lot since starting the podcast is I would like to have some, like, fun little segments in here. So I, I have things simmering in the pot ooh. for you guys. Definitely going to get some art nerd happenings. I have some nice. art history things mm -hmm. I'm trying to incorporate into the podcast. There and. You go. Just excited. I'm excited to have you here. I'm Thank excited you. for just how the podcast in, can grow over the next year, especially yeah. like my, there it is, right? Like <laughs> my, my personal growth, because every single time I talk to people about their craft, I walk away with something for mm. myself. And that was oh, a really big part of why I wanted to start this too. Kind of selfish, right? But also I find that whenever I'm picking someone's brain about creation, as a maker, mm -hmm. I find I can take something from it. Even if it's like, that's literally nuts. Why would you do it like that? Yeah. <laughs> I'll never do it like that. Well, you this know? is so cool, too. Because, like, we're both professionals at what we do. But in the industry at large, for our prospective industries, we'd be considered emerging artists. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. we haven't made, like, a notable footprint. Right. You know? Like, yeah. So it's fun because most of the podcasts that are, like, this in this sphere are just talking to people who are already successful and famous. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, how'd you start out? 
Right. But, you know, this is fun because I think if people are interested in learning what it's like to just be, like, boots on the ground making it happen, mm -hmm. then you're in a really cool position to be making a podcast like this. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Absolutely. So what is your personal background mm -hmm. with acting? Yeah. Like, is this a since you were a kid thing? Because I feel like that's... Um, where a lot of people start, right? Like, if they're into it as a kid, they do a play or they have to do a play yeah. at school or something right. like that. I definitely did acting growing up. For me, it was definitely more of a hobby. Yeah. I think as a kid, I def I was convinced for sure as a kid that I was going to be a pop star. Like, nice. I had whole concerts for my family whenever they would, yeah. like, let me, you yeah. know? Um, but, yeah, I'm curious what your, like, exposure to it was yeah. and how you, like, got down that path. Yeah, because people talk about, like, oh, catching the bug, like, catching the acting bug. Mm -hmm. I think I was just born with the bug. Mm, I okay. did my first community theater play when I was seven, and it was Tom Sawyer. <laughs> and my dad had to get cast in the show because they needed a parent or a guardian to get every rehearsal. So it was easier mm. to just have him be in the show with me. And I was just like a townsperson. I was literally ensemble, no lines, walking around seven years old. Like, you know, it's. Eh. And so he actually played. Are you familiar with Tom Sawyer? Like the story? Not anymore. Not I, a great I story. I used to watch. the. There was a movie yeah. that I watched when I was a kid, but it's so far yeah. in the back of my memory. Like really early on in the book, play, movie, whatever they're doing, there is this evil doctor and the guy named Injun Joe. Um, they the grave rob somebody like they're digging up a grave and taking their stuff and i may be misremembering this fully but tom sawyer sees it and so now it's like a sort of evil blackmail extortion situation and my dad played the evil doctor who was grave robbing oh my bodies. god that's so, so cool he that like your dad did that it. just for me to be able to do the show but it was at this point where so my dad is also a pastor so anytime mm. there was like a church skit, a Bible study skit, VBS, anything like that, where you had to get up and like do the story from the parable. I was always just the first to volunteer. And then also being a pastor's daughter, like people really look at you like you're in the spotlight, you're in a fishbowl. Mm -hmm. So I was pretty comfortable with that level of attention, um, but it's not something I really enjoy. It tends to be really, really negative when people have that much like focus on one person. So I think in my pursuit of acting, like fame is really not something that's of interest to me. Mm. I think like I have so many questions. Dude, I think like acclaim is something that I would love. Like I would love critical acclaim, mm. but fame, like being unable to go to Target, right, is a little rough. Mm -hmm. So did your did you find the play mm -hmm. that you were in? Yeah, did you find out about it and then be like, I want to do this or did your dad find out about it and then was like, do you want to do this with me? Or like, how yeah. did you stumble upon that? Like, was it something he also was kind of interested in doing? I don't remember fully who brought it up. Um, I think it was just like a really obvious thing for me to do. Because mm. my sister Sarah is only 11 months older than I am. Mm, so okay. we were like twin level. Like everything we did, we did together up until that point. And so it was something very distinctly was like, Laura is into this and Sarah definitely is not. <laughs> so it was like a Laura thing for sure. Okay. Um, but I don't remember if my parents suggested it or I did. I just remember, well, I they tell me this story. But after our first opening night coming off stage, they asked like, oh my gosh, how was it? Were you so nervous? 
And apparently I said, no, like that's where I belong. And so I just like from a really young age knew that like being on stage and performing was just like where I was meant to be. And it felt really, if I felt more alive Mm -hmm. up on stage doing that than I ever did like in my daily life. And that's just continued. There's something so amplified about playing a character Mm -hmm. because you're allowed to do stuff in plays and films and stuff that you are socialized to not ever do in your daily life. Right. So part of like acting technique and going to school for acting is breaking down being a polite person (laughs) so that like you're not going to make polite choices because that's not interesting to watch Mm -hmm. someone being polite and taking the easy way out and be like, no, I just didn't confront them because like I can get over it. No, we want to see the confrontation. Like we want to see the drama. Yeah. So Doing that convincingly and believing, believably, like, takes technique and work to break down. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you, yeah. so, kind of just circling back because I'm really interested. Yeah. Do you feel like the impact of your father being a pastor impacted, like, how you went about acting or, like, getting roles? Like, was there ever, like, a time where, like, maybe you wanted to audition for Grease and your dad was like, no. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, like, was that ever yeah. a thing? Or and not so much. I, I thought that it would be more. I think it's probably because I went to a Christian high school, so mm. we weren't really going to be doing things that were in Grease was a bad example, but you know what <laughs> I, I know, mean. No, but I do. I do. <laughs> agree. I do. I one time had some uh, friends his age asking me about acting and stuff, and... They asked, like, oh, I'm sure it's, like, such a testament if you turn down a role because it has, like, content that you're not comfortable with. And I was like, not really. No one cares if you turn down a role. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, that doesn't get out. You're like, yeah, who cares? <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, um, no, I actually thought it would, like, make a bigger difference to me than it did. I think it just shaped who I am in general as a person. Um, but I don't think it has had a big impact on my career specifically. That's good though. Because mm-hmm. I feel like that, you know, uh, th- what I thought about originally when you said that was Katy Perry. Yeah. You remember that? The rebellion. That's like her, yeah. that, that's where her dad is, right? Yeah, he's she's, a, she's a preacher's, preacher's daughter preacher. specifically yeah. versus pastor's daughter. There's a bit of a <laughs> regional, um, difference with that, I guess. But so that was your first show, Tom Sawyer, Tom Sawyer. when you were seven. Yeah. And then it just continued were was your engagement mainly through like you said church things but mm-hmm. then also community theater and school or what was that yeah for yeah you? I did community theater throughout like um elementary middle school etc so I did oh my gosh things like once on this island junior you know again no business any white people have being in that show but <laughs> When you're 11, like, you don't necessarily know that a show about colorism is something you shouldn't be involved in. Right. Um, but the music's really good. So I, I do enjoy watching that show as an audience member. Yeah, I don't think I've ever do seen it, it honestly. Yeah, it's about an island where, like, it, it's a Caribbean island, but the pale people have wealth and the people with darker skin don't. And mm. I was doing the junior version. Oh, my God. <laughs> Of course. Talk okay. about like race right. theory really okay. early on before that was a, a thing. It was critical race theory. Um, but yeah, so I ended up going to a high school where the drama teacher was there the same set of years that I was for three years. So she really like revamped the whole program and she gave me opportunities that I don't think I would have had in a different school. Um, I played Titania in Midsummer Night's Dream when I was in 
um, like the 10th grade. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and that's normally a role reserved for like older, very stately, elegant women. Okay. And I think just like I was a small, bringing it to a small Christian high school, but I think I just like had more of that vibe than anyone else. But I was really going for puck. So that's happened to me a few times where I've been going for like a different role and then someone else has been like, actually, this for you. How do you deal with that as an artist when you, I would assume that you specifically read for a role because you resonate with it and the Mm -hmm. storyline and that would help you, I would assume as a performer to like tap into that essence of that character. Yeah. So when you have someone who's on that other end of like, oh, I actually think you would be better suited here. How's that? How do you adjust to that? as someone who's going to be fulfilling like a different role that you went, you like, you went into it thinking I'm going to do something different. Um, the first feeling is genuinely disappointment. Um, that like what you had your sights set on and you thought that you would get because you like got a callback for it or whatever ends up not being what you do because it's such a weird adjustment. Mm. But after that disappointment fades away, very quickly follows like excitement and just like, okay, okay. So they see something in me that I didn't even see in myself. Mm, so now okay. I'm going to bring this out and try to like delve the depths of what they're seeing for me in this character. Cause I didn't picture myself as this at all. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's like, if someone takes a picture of you at a party and you're fully just not paying attention and then they're like, Oh my God, I love this picture. And you're like, is that even me? Like, who is that? Mm-hmm. But it is. And so then you're like, okay, so now I have to fit this picture of me that someone just showed me into my perception of who I am and, like, what I give off. Um, and so it can be really exciting to be like, mm. oh, my God, okay, so now I'm going to, like, shift into this new way of being that someone saw and thinks that I should follow and do. So it's like someone believing in you. Um, do you ever find that you have maybe particular trouble disconnecting from a character after being in a role or like do you ever feel like over time the compound of like playing all these different roles has affected like you as an individual like do you feel like you keep pieces of that with you that is a really good question I think I keep pieces of the experience more than I keep pieces of the character. So especially doing theater a lot, like your ensemble and where the show is taking place, who you're doing it with, even like what time of year can really affect like what you take away from that experience. Mm. And so I think like the different experiences of performing compound, but the characters I do leave behind pretty easily. Mm, Um, If it's something, if I feel like I've learned something from the character, I'll try to hold on to it. Mm, But for the most part, um, I don't know. I don't think there's much I can take from like Lumiere and Beauty and the Beast. (laughs) Right, right. That makes sense. I guess, yeah, the deeper roles for sure. I would say, yeah, the deeper roles because I think about um, something that I was reading from Evan Peters Mm. after all the Dahmer stuff came out. And he was talking about how he almost didn't really consider the role because of how all of his roles through American Horror Story have been so dark for so long and that he's not really a like negative down person he's like naturally a happy person and so he was like I kind of wanted to take a break from all those roles because like it's just like a lot especially to tap into that mindset so I feel like yeah especially when you're like 
doing that constantly yeah like back to back to back to yeah, back to exactly. back to where you don't get like breathing room like captain yeah. america whatever oh his name is he's Chris gotta Evans. believe he's captain america at right this point. like everyone in the marvel yeah world, right they have to think that there's like spider-man or right. all everything in that universe right because they're just how many movies are there now <laughs> however long it takes to shoot and then they're immediately probably shooting again afterwards you yeah know? oh yeah there is there's a lot that i think um sort of seeps in but then there's also this thing of like, well, you're reading it as yourself and being like, oh my gosh, I would never do that. Or like, I can't picture myself doing that or something mm-hmm. like that. And so it can also differentiate who you are and your identity in a really solid way by being like, okay, that's me and that's the character. Yeah. And there's some overlap of we're similar, but when you're playing a character really different from yourself, it can almost be easier because you're mm-hmm. not losing your own sense of identity in a character that's like really similar to you yeah yeah i got you okay and also when i've done shows that are like really sad like my character dies in the end or this or that again the ensemble really helps like if it's a sad show but everyone that you're around like is cracking jokes at intermission or like Mm -hmm. we have like a fun warm-up together kind of thing then the show itself isn't doesn't take quite so much of a toll. Mm-hmm. I think the roles that have been more difficult are the ones that I have felt more alone in, that, like, I'm carrying this scene specifically. Like, that's on me to do every night. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when it can be a lot harder when you don't have, like, that support system of other actors and makers there with you. Like, being a group together and, like, having a little community together. Yeah. That makes it a lot easier. Is there a favorite project that you've worked on so far? I think the one that I just filmed, I'm really, really proud of, which you were there for doing mm-hmm. BTS photos. So um, yeah, I just shot the beard. So I made my foray into like film and television much later on in life than most people. Yeah, that, I was TV. actually going to ask when the yeah. shift was from theater to film and TV. Yeah. So I, again, started doing theater when I was seven. Um, I majored in it in undergrad, studied theater and media production at the University of Minnesota. And it was my final year there, like when I was a senior, that I took an on-camera acting class. And it was pretty much just like, um, here's how to hit your mark and say your lines for a commercial. Um, Here's how to hit your mark and say your lines for a scene. Um, And I did a scene from Sabrina, like, you know, Audrey Hepburn and um, Humphrey Bogart. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And there's a newer version of Sabrina, like with... um, Oh my gosh. Harrison I forget Ford her name. and yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the TV show? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, not Sabrina, not like this teenage witch. Like it's a whole, it's just a movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. heard it. Okay. Anyways. So, anyway, I did a scene from that and I like literally had to duct tape my mic pack to my thigh. Like <laughs> I realized quite quickly how unsexy and unglamorous filmmaking is. Mm. And as a very like physical theater performer, I was like, oh. I can do this because this is actually not very comfortable. Um, I thought it was going to be way more like just cushy. And Mm. when it wasn't, I was like, oh, so I can set my sights to this. Yeah. I don't know why I had that perception. I think a lot of people do. But filmmaking is like very uncomfortable. Like you're often waiting around bored, tired, cold, hungry. Like it's not very fun to be on set but it's also the best place to be yeah yeah there's no better place to like be you, than on set. you also can't be there unless like you're passionate about yeah it. like the, the only way to make yeah. that work and to live that lifestyle yeah. is to have something more in it for you yeah 
Um, but yeah, so I, I um, just to finish up this story really quick, I discovered that just by taking a class. And then upon graduating, I just like used some stills and very brief moments from those scenes to submit to agencies and was signed very quickly. Big surprise to me. Um, was signed very quickly and was not good at film acting because I had not studied it. So I would be told by casting directors, because this was also back when you're live taping, you go in for a 10 minute time slot, if that, and you have to do your scene at the casting director's office and then you go home. So the world of self-tapes is entirely different. But the casting director would be like, just be yourself. And me, a theater actor, myself is far too big for any camera like nuance Mm. at all. So I'd be like, this is me enjoying this product. And she was like, tone it way down. And you're like, but you told me to be myself, which is already like really ebullient and like <laughs> out there and loud. So I had to learn to not be myself. I had mm. to learn to be a much more toned down version of myself um, until I could go to SCAD, where you and I have now met, mm. to get my MFA and like really study film acting. Um, but I did it for like four years in between undergrad and grad school. I was wow. um, doing commercials and industrials. And then I booked a pilot which I would have been a series regular like probably third billing for this show but it didn't get any distribution Mm. it was supposed to like premiere at South by Southwest um 2020 so Uh, the whole event we already know yeah Yeah. and so it just like really lost momentum um but the creators are still working on it and they've actually like have revamped it so hopefully that might come out eventually okay um it probably has a better chance of being a short film now at this point than an actual pilot but the end of the entertainment industry is so weird you never know yeah but after booking that i was like okay so i can do this Mm -hmm. like i can make a living doing this i just need to be in the right city to do it for sure so i was in minneapolis st paul where it is like the third largest theater space in america per capita oh wow then yeah yeah it's big it's after like new york chicago minneapolis wow yeah because la and atlanta don't have as much theater as those places so especially per capita yeah there's like over a dozen equity theaters in minneapolis st paul and here in atlanta there's like maybe three wow yeah it's crazy so, so anyone out there listening, if you're desperate to be a well-paid working theater performer, maybe check out the Midwest. <laughs> That's crazy. So my two questions that I thought of while you were talking were, one, what was your undergrad in? Mm, yeah. Also performing arts? Yeah, theater and media production, okay. which was under the communications major. But when you major in comm, you have to pick like 104 concentrations. Mm. So the concentration was in producing media. Like I learned how to write a proper screenplay. I was live editing for like a sitcom um, Mm. and I like directed a super short project in a studio. Um, So, and I also got really good at editing. I um, created a PSA video for this like, um, like mentorship group that I was a part of. I was a mentor for like the sixth grader who was interested in acting. Um, Totally forgot I did that. Anyway, I edited a PSA for it, and it was, like, nominated for, like, the student Emmys oh, nice. kind of okay. thing. So I was like, okay, so... That's good. Build your, like, tool belt. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I'm, like, really not comparable as an editor anymore. Like, there are people who do that who are really, really good at that. And I was just like, oh, I'm interested in making films now, not just theater. And so now I'm understanding the mechanics of filmmaking so that I, as an actor, can be like, all right, what is my frame? What is this going to be used for? Like, where is this coverage going? Mm. So that I know how to cater my performance. Because having been on the editing side, I know how quickly things can just, like, 
never make it to the final cut. Well, yeah. So then the other question becomes, if from the perspective of someone like me who knows nothing, how, Mm -hmm. what's the process to getting like signed with someone? Oh, with an agency? Yeah. So that is not as mysterious as I think people think it is. There are two kinds of agencies, really. The first kind is what everyone thinks every agency is like, which those are the agencies that are by referral only. And then there are agencies that accept submissions. So when I graduated from grad school, I got an IMDb Pro account um, because I had stuff to put on there. And then um, on IMDb Pro, it has like a directory of actors and it has a directory of managers and agents and like everything. Mm -hmm. So I just went through the directory top to bottom, which means starting with those like first 30 agencies that are listed, those are all by referral only. But I still like went through their websites so that if I ever like saw a name somewhere that maybe like would trigger something Mm -hmm. like, Oh, I think that person is with paradigm. I don't know. Um, And then once I finally started getting to the agencies that take submissions, I like denoted those. I grabbed all the emails from IMDb Pro and I put them in an Excel spreadsheet and included like what divisions they had, where they had coverage, like who I should email, what they're expecting from a submission. If it's just headshot and resume or if you need to submit a reel or be prepared to do a monologue, like whatever. And then um, I had picked out three agencies that were by referral only that I thought I had maybe a shot of getting into and asked the casting director at SCAD, like the head of the casting office, to submit on my behalf as a referral. And those didn't pan out, which is okay, because then I um, was signed by Evolution Talent, who I'm with now. They're a regional to the Southeast. Um, and I really like them, you know, but they take submissions. Like, what's you can the just system submit like? Your like, you submit whatever they ask for, and then basically they're the middleman, so they'll be like, Whoever comes to them will come to them with the projects. And then based on those projects, they'll come to you and be like, exactly. This is the options I have that I think you'd be a good fit for. Come and do this. Yeah. So they're going to cut then or are you paying them up front or are they taking cut out of like the money you're making on a project or. Yeah, it's commission ish. Mm, So it goes a director or a studio needs to cast a project. They go to the casting directors. The casting directors has all of the agents and managers that they get along well with and they have relationships with. And they reach out and they say, hey, we're looking for these five people. Who do you represent? Who fits this? Then the agents and managers go to their rosters and they go, okay, I got these five people. I can, I got people for like four of them or something. So then if they're looking for someone who is Caucasian, female presenting, brown hair, maybe needs to change it or something, but looks like me. Not only that, but also fits my vibe, like fits my type and my tone and like my range in terms of age, height, and even again, yeah, personality. Then they'll reach out to us for an audition and then we audition and then it goes from there. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so agents take a percentage of what you book and it's all up front. So when I sign a contract with the agency, I know if I book a print job, they'll be taking 20%. Because print Mm. pays a lot more. Mm. If it's a commercial, it's like 15%, something like that. And then, you know, narrative work is like typically 10. Um, So that's like something you would know ahead of time. I'm assuming each agency would probably be different, right? It's pretty across the board, pretty similar. Um, Yeah, because you wouldn't want to be the agency that takes like 25% of narrative work when everyone else is taking 10. Right. Yeah, there are are definitely standards. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, there are standards. But you know up front when you sign a contract, like... This is how much my agent will be getting. 
And so sometimes when you get a pay breakdown, it'll say uh, the project is $1,500 plus the 20% agency fee. So that means your take-home is $1,500. If they don't say that, then it'd be like, yeah, it's a $2,000 project. Flat rate. That means that your agent is taking home that $400. Yeah, damn. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I've always wondered how that worked. And I know that there's a similar process in the photography world as well. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if it's the same kind of way to get into that or not. Yeah. Food for thought. Like something I've been thinking about recently because I know that a lot of like editorial jobs will go the same route Mm. they'll like go to like an art yeah like an art director director art someone agent they they know the stylist this is the style of my clients here's that yeah just something interesting that's cool though that's it's cool that there's both because i could see how you know certain places you know you can't just accept anyone under the sun because so many people want to do it yeah but then also once you get to know people in the industry like yeah. You'll just get a foot in the door. So yeah, because, like, all cool. I did was just, like, emailed their new faces at Evolution or whatever it was and said, hey, this is me. I just graduated from SCAD with my MFA. Um, here's my headshot resume and my reel. And then they asked me to submit a recent audition that I had done. Mm. Like, I hadn't done an audition within the past two weeks that I needed to, feel, like, tape a new one. Um, so I taped sides that they had sent me because they were going to be really different like a totally different range than the audition I had just done so I sent them both and then they interviewed me and at the interview they were like well we would love to sign you so nice it was as easy as that yeah Yeah. that's awesome yeah so you do need to be above a certain threshold and that is the point of agencies is like people think that acting like anyone should be able to do it but it is like incredibly difficult. And there's a lot of like specific technique that you have to know before you step on set. Otherwise you're going to like fuck everything up for the whole production. Right. Um, so they have to be able to trust you. Mm-hmm. So that is like the sort of gatekeeping of having an agent is all of these directors and studios can be like, well, they've already vetted them to make sure right. that they're not going to be a loose cannon right. on set. Mm-hmm. So there is this like, bit of business that even though people without an agent might be kind of salty about it, like I'm not getting auditions, but it just means that like your time is coming. If you are professional enough and have enough grit to make it through, to make your own projects and do student films and anyone can have an actor's access account, you know, mm-hmm. that's not a big deal. Then eventually the right agent will find you, mm-hmm. you know, because those by referral agencies, they also scout. Right. They just either they want to find you or someone that they know and trust needs to refer you to them. And I think that's like kind of for obvious reasons, like what Mm -hmm. I just said. Yeah. And it's a good point to something that I do speak about a lot within anything in the art industry where your like reputation and connections matter more than Mm -hmm. anything else. Like you still hear about like prima donnas and that's always going to happen in the art world because there's people who are just like have that attitude or their ego inflates or they're more privileged and that's just how they look at the world but if i've learned anything especially in business classes at scad it's like that's what 99 percent of people care about is like how are you to work with are you a good person to work with Mm -hmm. do they like you do they want you around working on a project yeah and that's like way more you could be the coolest person ever and have the most skill ever but if someone else can take the same kinds of pictures as you and they're nice yeah (laughs) Isn't that like true? They, Isn't that or even truth? if they have to bend a little bit on style yeah. for personality, that's probably going to happen yeah. nine times out of ten. So 
it makes and sense, especially in the acting world. It's because, so time intensive. You spend yeah. so much time with these people. Mm-hmm. I mean, months to years. Like you were talking about Marvel. They spent 10 years working on those. Harry Potter. Together. Like, oh, insane. <laughs> their whole life. Oh, basically. my God. Fully. Yeah. So, so if like, you, you hate each other people and you're going to in anything you do, you're going to have people you just don't yeah. vibe with. That's just the nature of life. Big like, personalities are drawn to our industry. Yeah. You know? So there is. But that. you can handle that with. Yeah. Chillness too. Yeah. <laughs> like you don't have to be as amped up as everyone else. Like yeah. even there's just like diplomatic ways to go about things. Absolutely. So what was your SCAD journey like? Like mm-hmm. did you you also did undergrad at SCAD? Or no. no. So my undergrad was at the University of Minnesota. Oh like when a, you were there. Yeah, like Minnesota. a big okay, ten gotcha. state school. Um yeah, so I was in Minneapolis for eight years, four years in school, four years out. And I was just working as an actor with a day job, but I was just kind of going from show to show to show. And there were dry spells, dry spells where there'd be like two or three months where I was only auditioning, not doing a show. And I look mm. back on that now and I'm like, dry spell. <laughs> dry spell is like a year. Yeah. Dry spell is like having COVID and then a strike. Like, what? Right, yeah. <laughs> um, so I was working more in Minneapolis than I think I gave myself credit for. But I just, at a certain point, after like three years, I started to feel a little tapped out. Um, there was, okay, so this might be a slightly longer story, but there's a big theater in Minneapolis called the Guthrie Theater. It's like the biggest regional theater there, and they do the Christmas Carol every year, just like the Alliance here in Atlanta. But the Christmas Carol there is like, kind of, sorry to my friends back home, kind of got like this cult following. Mm. And there's a big draw to like want to be in the show. And so they have like non-union auditions go up where you can sign up to be in the ensemble to audition for the ensemble. And auditions for that always fill up in a matter of like two minutes. Oh my gosh. And so I had an acquaintance on Facebook be like, I cannot believe that for however many years in a row, I haven't been able to even audition for the ensemble. Like, oh my God. And I shall not name names, but I looked at that and I was like, who am I surrounding myself with? that their goal is to be in the ensemble of an annual Christmas show. Do you not aspire to bigger things? So that was really frustrating to me. And it was sort of like just, there were were many things that were frustrating to me about just stuff in general. And so that was sort of like the final straw for me that I was like, okay, I kind of have to get out. Like I have friends who are making really good work here. Like they are with the companies that they're liking and they've got the collaborators that they're liking and, I've made some really incredible work and like met some really amazing people here. Cause I used to do devised theater where you don't have a script. When you start off, you just create the show as you go. Mm. Half of my theater resume is devised and half is like text-based where I audition for a certain role. So I will like never ever discount those experiences, but I was starting to feel like I'm putting in so much work, like six to eight weeks to rehearse a show. And um, I'm, just like not quite at the level that I want it to be at. And then seeing just the absolute immense amount of talent there, but just even with so many theaters there, it was like still not enough space for everybody. Especially not enough livable space. Like theater is really an actor's arena. There are directors and technicians, amazing ones, but like once the show goes, the actors are the ones who keep it going. Film is more of a technician's arena. Like, mm. actors are incredible, 
incredible props. <laughs> yeah. But also, like, the soul of the movie. Like, you can't have a movie without an actor unless you want it to be incredibly boring. Right. Like, you just need that human connection. But it really is the director and the editor's arena. And it's about yeah. light. And it's about capturing the picture. So, like, the actor is not as important as in theater. Um, but if you want to make money, you have to be good at doing TV. Because mm. that is just where money is. Even in the indie film space, you know, you can be nominated for an Oscar and have made maybe $20,000 on the film. Mm. Like, you never know. So, like, I remember Hilary Swank talked about doing Million Dollar Baby. And she hadn't even got, like, qualified for SAG insurance that year. You know? Wow. And she here she is taking home an Oscar for it. So it can be kind of a cruel world in terms of that, which, thank goodness, we're, we are recording this, by the way, the day after the strike ended. So now, like, hopefully Great the middle news. class of actors can have a resurgence, because that's where I'm trying to be. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I felt tapped out in the Minneapolis market, and I wanted to do more film and TV. So I prepped auditions for the Erdas, which is this big unified regional theater audition for like nine months. I decided I was going to do them for the following year in January of 2020, which is before we knew anything was happening globally. Um, So I prepped for like nine months. I worked on my pieces and I got some directors I'd worked with in the past to coach me on them. Um, Went to Erdas. You get two minutes to do two monologues. So your monologues need to be like a tight 45 to 50 seconds, like to the second. So I did them, and um, I'm going to brag on myself a little bit. I got 14 callbacks over the Woo! course of two days. That's, that's amazing. That yeah. deserves bragging. So that was pretty cool. I went to all the callbacks, um, including SCAD. They were one of the very last ones that I went to. Um, I did have my sights set on a different school, and they were really, really complimentary of me. It's a school in California. Um, and they basically said, when you get home, apply so that we can accept you. I applied come March. They had just straight up denied me, hadn't even waitlisted me. Like Whoa. they totally amped me up in the hotel room in the callback. And they were like, you just wrote this play that's really avant-garde. And like I had written a play um, called Steadfast that was the story of like the brave little tin soldier mm. from Hans Christian Andersen. But it was a play that had sound and like a f- original score, but no words. So the actors would like emote and breathe and, you know, make sounds, but they didn't have any dialogue. Mm. It was all like physical and puppetry and like That's stuff cool. like that. Yeah. So I told them about that and they're like, oh my gosh, like that just totally fits like what our school is all about. Um, and then they ghosted me fully. So SCAD was not my first choice. As many things in life are, like you are directed to where you're meant to be. Because mm, sure. now that I'm on the other side of grad school, looking at the kind of people that school that denied me sends out and what their, like where their values are, it wouldn't have given me the training that I was looking for. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, and SCAD is not perfect. I think anyone who's an alum knows that. But. <laughs> oh my God, this dog. <laughs> my dog is on my lap right now. <laughs> you guys can't see. <laughs> oh my God, you just smacked my microphone too. Oh my God. Incredible. But yeah, so I found my way to SCAD through these general humongous regional theater auditions. Um, and Craig Anton, who you have now met, was the one who called me back. Oh, yeah. Craig's awesome. Yeah, he is the best. So, um, yeah, he gave me a chance. And then um, when I was back to looking at schools after that one in Cali denied me, um, they were just on my list. 
and I sort of went through and the you ended up there. Yeah, went through the website. I asked our admission advisor <laughs> if I. <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm now an admission advisor at SCAD <laughs> for my day job. We both work in admissions. So we that's do. Funny. Um, I had asked my admission advisor if I could talk to a professor because at that point it was April of 2022, 2020. Mm. Um, and so I was like, "Is the school even happening? Like, is anything happening?" Oh, that's crazy. So we started at the same time. Yeah, we did. I and also I, started in lockdown. Yeah. I think it was. Closer to the summer. Yeah, yeah. I was like, what am I doing with my yeah. life? I moved from Minneapolis to um, my parents' house in Iowa for three weeks to Savannah, Georgia, by myself, um, loaded up my car and my dog, and whatever didn't fit in my car was sold or given away. Um, yeah, and I drove to Savannah for four days alone. Wow. And it's probably the bravest thing I've ever done. I just got... I got into the school and I paid my enrollment fee and I went. Yeah. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. What Pretty a time. crazy. Pretty crazy. And it ended up being exactly what I needed. It Like what I got. Same, it, it was It was exactly what I was looking for. Like the specificity of the film and TV training was exactly what I wanted. And the level at which I was able to perform was so freeing. Oh, Be- for sure. Yeah. Because an issue I was facing in my theater life was that I was no longer performing in a way that was really grounded Mm. like I kind of lost touch with what made me as a human interesting I was just continuing to play roles that were like really out there or like weren't really based in reality or were like it was sci-fi or whatever so I just like wasn't acting in a way that was really realistic anymore Mm -hmm. and film allowed me to just strip all that away you don't have to be performative in film in fact you should not be and so it was this great challenge and very, very freeing to just do nothing hmm. and have that be, like, a choice. Yeah. I I think something really awesome, too, about SCAD, and I, I, it makes me smile whenever I start getting on my SCAD soapbox. <laughs> yeah. because, well, my, my experience was so great as a student. It was really life-changing, yeah. like, not to be dramatic, but truly for yeah. me. It's what, um, it's what an art school, art and design school should be for it's, sure it's life-changing yeah. but also on the inside now <laughs> on the inside it's a really interesting getting a look at i think part of the reason why everything is so successful that they do especially for the students yeah is that everything's always being like current yeah like everything's being evaluated like even down to the fact that they evaluate all the majors every year yeah like are people actually taking these do we need them yeah Should we switch it out for something are that they people useful? actually want to do yeah and so i think that's really cool because especially now that they have the back lot in savannah yeah the fact that you have that the fact that you have people like craig who have worked in the industry and i mean school-wide but yeah. also that yeah. is like you have this current Here's how things work now. Yeah. You know, even just having the casting yeah. office with people who have worked in that industry to be like, here's how things are oh, now. Man. And people are like, you went to school during lockdown? I bet that was awful. And I'm like, no, mm-hmm. it was the best. Mm-hmm. Because what was everyone else during doing during lockdown? Absolutely fucking nothing. Yeah. I was getting the best training of my life during those two years. Literally. I emerged it's into crazy. a strike. Yeah. But also, like, now the industry will be better after the strike. So, mm-hmm. oh, well. But, like... I think about the people who graduated even a year before the pandemic and their training would have been walking into a casting office. My yeah. training is all self-tapes now. Yeah. Like, and I reasoned it out because when um, my partner Aaron and I started dating, we were like, should we just do the first quarter? And if the pandemic isn't over, we can still like defer for a year because that was the thing they're allowing people to do. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't think I'm going to defer. I think I'm going to stay because number one, having to do acting on Zoom 
that's a built-in frame and it's recorded For so sure. I can watch it back. So when my professor goes, I don't understand why you're doing this, like making this choice. And I go, I don't know what you mean. Well, now I can watch it back and I can see exactly what she's talking about. Mm-hmm. Built-in frame. I was able to like whisper whole scenes with a partner just to try it out, which was really cool. Not necessarily something that you would have been able to do in person because you just started to get creative mm-hmm. on Zoom. And, like, we could film anywhere that we wanted in our house. Mm-hmm. We would record scenes and upload them. So rather than doing a scene live and getting live feedback, you would be recorded and then getting feedback, which is, like, how you would see yourself in a movie. Like, you don't get feedback from a director if right. you do well. And they're like, oh, that's good enough for the edit. Right. Like, Some directors <laughs> will really push actors for the performance, you know? Yeah. Those are the really great directors. But if you're doing, like, I don't know, Law & Order SVU... If you just hit the mark and say the line correctly, they're moving on. Yeah. So you may not know what your performance looks like till the episode comes out. Well, and SCAD classes are already really small. Yeah. So, and I feel like during that time period, like, yeah, they were already smaller. Yeah. So I don't know about you, but people per class. I was going to say, yeah, in a lot of my classes, like I had so little people there that I also felt like for the duration of a studio class, literally an hour of it was like me grilling my teacher about all the things I wanted to know yeah. because no one else was saying anything. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm paying for this class. Oh so yeah. This is now one-on-one teacher <laughs> teaches Leia Photoshop and all her individual Amazing. questions about Photoshop. Yeah. Uh, so what, it, like, did you study photography in undergrad as well? Um, yeah, I was a transfer student. Um, my dog right now, you guys. Oh my gosh, I'm hold on to this microphone. <laughs> Mabel's being super needy today. She's just way up in our junk. But um, <laughs> I was a transfer student, so um, I already had a bunch of random credits. And that is what I ended up getting my undergrad in, yeah, oh, cool. photography. Um, but I, I now knowing again from the admission side, I think I was just ready at that point since I've been in school for so long to be done. So yeah. I didn't want to do anything extra. I was yeah. just ready to have a degree so I could start working. Yeah. Um, in the industry, which is ironic because now I'm working at SCAD, which yeah. is is not to say that I won't still do work. You know what I'm saying? But yep. it's just funny how that happened. Yeah. Um, and there that's how a lot of people say it happens. People, photography people like in the admission department. <laughs> but I didn't get my BFA because I didn't know the difference. Oh. And so I think it would have been a little more helpful. But at the same time, I think a lot of the courses that I could have taken, would have had to take to get the BFA, I would have had to be in person anyways. Because I already had to switch out an inkjet printing class for something else because I couldn't be in camp on campus. And I don't have an inkjet printers like that, those (laughs) fancy printers. Um, But what's cool about it is that did land me in my graduate class. It was like the beginner graduate class working on a thesis, which helped me start like my best project to date which right. I still am working on not as much as I would like but you know yeah. um I the studio lighting I didn't get either mm. um which I still would like but now that I'm on campus like I can, you can just take you it know for your- yeah just like figure that out while mm-hmm. I'm on campus but yeah um yeah I think I ended up just lo- I had a good experience online. Yeah. I was very involved. It wasn't my first rodeo with college. Right. So, yeah, you know, I did too. SCAD Pro. I did SCAD Amp. I oh, did SCAD yeah. Startup. Hey, I did hey, all three. Goodness. So it's yeah. like all from my living room. Right. You know what I mean? That's so amazing. there's a lot that they have to offer um, for their Mabel. students. And um, hey, I don't know. I just had a great experience. We're yeah. having dog problems right now. Sorry <laughs> if you guys can hear this. She just has to be on a lap right now. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I guess I'll circle back now to yeah. what's something that you 
like wish that you knew starting out? Like, is there something that you had learned kind of deeper into this process that you're like, oh, that would have been really helpful to know? I think I wish I had heard more people talk about defining success for yourself earlier oh. on. Because mm-hmm. that is con- those are conversations that I've had personally and that like, not to continue to make this like a SCAD promo thing, but like when... That's visiting, just my whole life like, at this visiting, point. But when though. visiting guest artists came from master classes... You know, famous actors and directors and stuff, they would talk about success and what that looks like for them and that you have to define it for yourself. And that is really the first few times that I'd ever heard people talk that way about, like, success is determined by your own standards, Mm -hmm. not the external world standards. Mm -hmm. So looping it back to the story I was telling earlier, if success to my friend means finally being in the Christmas Carol and she's made it, then that's then what, that's, that's what means making it for her. Mm-hmm. For me, making it means paying back all my student loans through acting. Yeah. Like for like, it's not fame. I really, really, really would love to win an Emmy. <laughs> okay. Like that's my award of choice. I would really love to win an Emmy. Um, that was a life. That's like my highest level of achievement. But like the truth of it is I would love to be, working as an actor without a day job like that would be yeah. successful for me that would be making it um wow <laughs> oh my she also thinks that 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 should happen yeah but i think on the outside people are like i mean i bartended for a long time and so when people would ask about myself they love to hear about bartenders other lives and so i'd be like yeah i'm also an actor and they'd be like well what have i seen you in and my first thought is like, if you have to ask, you haven't seen me in anything. Right. <laughs> you dumb idiot. <laughs> it's like you ran into the rock and you're like, yeah. what are you in? Yeah. It's uh, like, oh, what okay. have I seen you in anything? I'm like, clearly not. Otherwise yeah. you would have maybe recognized me. But also no, because I've mostly done theater. Right. Um, and, you know, film and acting now, but also like a lot of my credits are from student films or indie stuff mm-hmm. that like did smaller festivals, but... You know, it's not as if I'm in every episode of a certain TV show. Mm. And even then, you can be a lead in a TV show and people won't recognize you. So, like, what do you yeah, want? Do you want me to sure. have one? Do you want me to be on, like, the cover of Harper's Bazaar or something? Like, I don't... Right. So, yeah, people ask really stupid questions. That's a good... That's a really good point, though, defining success for yourself. Yeah. That's a good... That's a really good I thing I think a lot of mind. people, and especially in the entertainment industry, allow others to define what success looks for like sure. for them. Like, you know. like, for me, I would say it would be, like, having some of my photos printed in Vogue. Yeah. And I feel like that's a very achievable goal. It's just all about, A, networking. Yep. And, B, just continuing to develop my style. Well, if I'm ever know. doing a press tour for a big film and they have me shoot for Vogue, I will personally request. Yeah, call me up. Be like, this is the girl. I'll be like, I'll only do it. If, a, if this one photographer, I love it. <laughs> but yeah, that's and that's something that we're like. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I see other people I know around my age that have been yeah. going for a while getting those. And whenever I do apply myself, I know I can do it. Yeah. I see the return when I invest myself. But yeah. I would say that's like the main specific career goal mm-hmm. that I would have that would make me like, I made it. But then I'm still never going to be done. You know what right. I mean? It's just no. like, oh, I hit this milestone. I feel like I'm successful like, now because yeah. I hit this and. Mm-hmm. Now I'll just keep living my life. Yeah, exactly. 
And context matters a lot, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I've been acting since I was seven, but I haven't had a manager since I was seven. Or getting paid for acting since I was seven. Like, community theater doesn't pay anything. Right. So, I think... Well, I first... The very first time I felt successful was when someone paid me to act. Like, mm. uh, I did the Fringe Festival, like, a little theater performance between my freshman and sophomore year of college. And that was the first time that I got, like, a stipend. To act. It was like a hundred bucks or something, you know? But I was like, oh my gosh, this isn't just for me anymore. Like, this is now good in a service that people are paying me for. Um, And that was another like moment of like, okay, I've reached this milestone where I've finally gotten paid for the first time to do this. Now, what next, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But that's awesome. Yeah. So, my last question, although honestly, whenever I record these podcasts, I'm the kind of person where I just like to know stuff. I know. You know? And I think that's why I am such a student at heart is even though sometimes I get really in the thick of it and I get butthurt about having homework. (laughs) (laughs) At the end of the day, I still am like, man, I love being in school and learning Mm. stuff. And it's just so interesting for me because I feel like I could almost have like endless questions, you know, like just one thing sparks another thing. And then you'll say something that makes me think something else. Like, like even just the concept of like forgetting lines. Oh yeah. Like that's how do you deal with that? Oh yeah. You know, but just overall, I like to ask people. And now that we're getting to the end of the year, what's your hope for the general, like overall artistic collective for Mm. like the upcoming year? will be like yeah. your wish well speaking very specifically post strike my wish for the upcoming year is to see the benefits of the strike take place and to see um actors who are quote-unquote more successful who have done more things actually see them get payment for the things that they've done through residuals um i think that would be really nice especially you know for our professors Mm-hmm. I'm sure, sure a lot of them teach because those residual payments went away. Um, so I'd love to see that. And I am very hopeful. The strike made me hopeful for a resurgence of indie filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Because for the past 10 years, films, the $80 million movie has gone by the wayside. It either needs to be a budget of like $2 billion because it's a Marvel movie or Avatar The Way of Water or it's a budget of like forty thousand dollars, <laughs> you know. And there are some films that are like, oh, a nice like casual two mil. Like I heard that Barbarian, which is an amazing horror movie, was like two million or something like that. Like movies can still be made for pretty cheap, but it's humongous amounts of money. Or it's like shoestring shoe budget. Yeah. But I mean, I don't know if you remember going to like Redbox or Blockbuster and being like. What's like a a fun thriller movie? And it probably was starring Matt Damon. Like Mm. the $80 million movie has just gone. Um, And so I would love a resurgence of good indie filmmaking where you can make a really solid movie for like five mil or six or seven. Um, Because I don't think that middle ground budget is ever really coming back Mm. unless the Marvel bubble bursts. Right. Which I I thought the strike may have made it burst, but it really just has not. It just keeps going. It is a juggernaut, and I don't think it can ever really be stopped. No, seriously. It's kind of insane, actually. I feel like that could literally be a podcast No, it's trained audiences (laughs) to expect movies to be something. And I think now there's now a difference between movies and, like, cinema and film. Mm -hmm. Like, I just saw Flowers, um, or Killers of the Flower Moon, which to me is, like, cinema. Mm. And then... um, 
they're, you know, movies. Yeah. But, um, I don't know. Like, I think A24 is just doing the coolest work. Yes. They were the first big-name studio to sign the SAG interim agreement projects. And that would also be success for me if I can book any A24 movie. Yeah. Oh, Uh, I just watched (laughs) and didn't finish, but I didn't know they made a Marcel the Shell with Shoes on movie. A24. That that movie made me cry three times. I I am obsessed. I watched it in theaters, and I love it. Jenny Slate is one of my favorite people. As soon as you said indie films, and we're talking about that's just what I thought about immediately. I was like, oh my gosh, it's so well done. Yeah. I also didn't know that Marcel was male-identifying until I read about the the film. He's just like a tiny little shell. But yeah, that's what my wish is, is to see more films come out that actually have meaning to people, rather than just being dollars in pockets yeah it's like seeing some soul come back to artistry yeah filmmaking i love that yeah. well where can the people find you oh my gosh i'm on instagram i don't have a separate actor instagram it's just me with my dog and my boyfriend really <laughs> um it's underscore crowned with laurels underscore because that's the meaning of my name laura <laughs> um yeah my name is laura mason um underscore crowned with laurels underscore and then i do have a short film coming out soon we you and i were just talking about it before we hit record but we're in the rough cut stage so i co-wrote co-produced and performed in the beard which will be a short film that'll be making its indie film circuit next year um and then what else yeah i'm just like auditioning for stuff and um aaron my partner aaron donahue he has a production company for sketch comedy specifically and they just filmed a sketch a couple weeks ago that i'm in so that'll, oh, nice. And that'll come out a bit faster, too, because that's it'll be like a five-minute sketch versus like a 15-minute short. Mm. Um, cool. But yeah, beyond awesome. that, just like back to auditioning and hoping to do some more stuff. Heck yeah. Well, yeah. thank you for talking with us. Oh my gosh, I'm I, so excited to be watch on. Watch out for Laura being mm-hmm. out here um, in the big, the big news. The big news. Um, soon we'll get her some roles and then <laughs> she'll be not famous, but famous. <laughs> But her yeah. bills will be paid. No, no like my like, personal hope is that the beard will resonate with someone in some festival somewhere. And that like a director or a casting director like reaches out to me and is like, I saw your film. We have a role we'd like for you to audition for. That okay. is like my true hope. That's our hope. That is, uh, I okay. think, an achievable hope. But that's like my underlying subliminal hope for this film. I like, love the that. Upfront is just that it is something people enjoy. But after that, I'm like, Maybe you can do something for me. Yeah. <laughs> you can help me. Exactly. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, I hope everyone has a happy Thanksgiving yeah. and that you ate a lot of food. Yeah. And I look forward to talking to you guys again soon after the holidays. And I'll talk to you later. Bye, guys. Bye.